Hello and welcome to another episode of Accessible Theology. We are a podcast dedicated uh, to making theology accessible, and we hope to do that through talking through scripture. Uh, Hopefully you have joined us before, but if not, welcome uh, to this journey. We're going through Colossians currently. Uh, We just, uh, last episode, talked about Colossians 1, uh, 21 to 29. In this episode, we'll move into chapter 2 of Colossians. You are, uh, you you can feel free to, you know, read along with us. Unless you're driving or something, uh, you probably shouldn't. Yeah. We'll read it for you uh, either way. Uh, We're going to consider verses 1 to 5 right now. there's, you know, it's, it's always tough to, to decide where you're going to cut off, like how you're, how you're going to go about this discussion. Cause like, I mean, chapter two is what, 20, 23 verses and there's three paragraphs, four paragraphs. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we're just gonna, we're going to break at the first paragraph. Uh, we could go on, but we don't want to, you know, have, too much that we have to skip. Uh, and if we had to take shorter chunks, hopefully we can skip less. Yeah. Uh, we don't plan on talking less. I don't think, but <laughs> never, <laughs> but we will, if we have a smaller chunk, then hopefully we can dive in a little bit more. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, I can uh, go ahead and read the passage for us and we can spend some time considering uh, the word of God together. So Colossians chapter two, let's uh, read verses one to five. It says this, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those that lay out a sea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Uh, That's what we'll consider today. We'll start back in verse one. Uh, So let's talk about it. Michael, what's going on here? Yeah, Paul's building off what he just said. Uh, we ended last discussion on uh, 129, discussing that uh, the Apostle Paul is saying that he is working with all the energy powerfully given him and animating through him by the Spirit so that he would bring about maturity in the churches. And just a reminder on that, why Paul can say that in a way that's probably, no, not probably, is distinct from us, is that Paul is saying that as an apostle. So one of his callings, um, if you look at places like Ephesians 2.20, and in 1 Corinthians 3, is that he's called a master builder or an expert builder of the church. And in Ephesians 2.20, we're told that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Mm. So one of the realities of the New Testament that we see is that is that Jesus is sent from the Father, mm. and uh, the Son is sent from the Father. And what we see Jesus say before he ascends back to the Father, once his uh, work of redemption is complete, he he tells them he will send the Spirit to them. So we have what uh, th- what we've established before: the Father and the Son send the Spirit back, uh, or not back, but to <laughs> dwell, indwell His people. Yeah. Um, and and what what that establishes though from there is that 
apostles are sent from the sent one or something you could say, right? Yeah, because yeah. apostles just means sent ones, ones who are sent. And there, there's a special role that they serve in the foundation of the church in that way, that they are building these original congregation, these original local bodies. So this is why Paul says things in, in like Titus 1.5, how he tells Titus that he's going to leave him in Crete to finish what remains um, unorganized and, and, and namely establishing elders so that the church would grow because pastors or and elders are essential in the uh, guarding of sound doctrine so that the church can thrive. And so Paul as an apostle though is striving to build these churches, which is why he can say that he is laboring for these people in in the church of Colossae who he's never met face to face. Because he has this unique role. Now, I, what I'm not saying is you shouldn't care for other believers who aren't around you. Like one of the things I love about the church that I'm currently a part of is we regularly, I, every Sunday, we will pray for other local churches and other churches that we're affiliated with that we don't regularly see because we desire the gospel, as Paul says here, to be made known in all of creation. Mm -hmm. But there is a special unique way in which Paul talks about his struggle. As he talks about in the book of Corinthians, he says that he has an anxiety for all the churches. And that anxiety is predicated on his role as this apostolic figure who is commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ to build up these original churches, such as this church at Colossae. So I do that. I, I sell that background to say it, this isn't an unapplicable concept for you, but you also need to know what Paul is saying. That's distinct from you. None of us here Aaron and I included are <laughs> apostles. And so Paul's struggle is unique in that sense. He is, he is commissioned to build these churches and this is one of his, his roles. And, and this is a church that he specifically invested in despite not meeting them face to face to this point. Uh, so I just want to establish that ground. Why is it he's struggling for this church? He's never met. He's an apostle. This is his job. This mm. is what he's been commissioned to do. And as Jesus tells him when he calls him, he's going, he tells Paul at the road to Damascus and through the vision, then through Ananias, he tells him, I will show him how much he is to suffer for me. And Paul throughout Colossians has already said that he is sharing in Christ's sufferings, fulfilling what is lacking. And now he is struggling. The apostle Paul's ministry is marked by this suffering for the body of Christ, the body he used to try to, attack and exterminate. Mm. He is now seeking to nourish and upbuild. So this dramatic reversal in Paul's life is still taking place. And we see brought out here in Colossians. So what else do you have on the yeah, opening I, verse? Yeah, I think, I think that's even just good application for us to consider. Um, so it, it, exactly as you're saying, this is not something that is like, this is not a role that we're going to fulfill. And yet um, just to, to, to zoom in a little bit, even on what you were saying about your church, um, praying for other churches in your area. The thing I think we can learn from Paul is, um, even though he doesn't know these people, he knows a, I'm united to them in Christ and B the gospel is going to spread through them. And so if I can, if I can love and encourage them in some way, it's going to, it's going to spread the gospel, and, and so I think, I think even in our focus, um, if we're looking at, if we're looking at churches, you know, in our area, um, it is good and right for us to, to pray for them, to be faithful, to trust God, to trust the word, to proclaim the gospel, uh, that, that their pastors, their elders would, um, 
be able to, to, to rightly handle the word of truth, um, so that the gospel would go forward so that, you know, we can, we can love the gospel and we can love other Christians without going to that church, uh, because we want to see God's glory, uh, spread through the nations. And, and I just even, I, I love that, that Paul is even in some ways modeling that for us, um, how great a struggle I have for you. And for those that lay out who've not seen me face to face, um, just, just this idea that the gospel is bigger than any of our churches mm-hmm. and, and the glory of God is bigger than any of our churches. And we can set our sights there, um, and, and do what God has called us to do and not have to worry about, I, I, I guess I think of this in terms of like, like from the perspective of a pastor and saying, um, I don't want churches to be competing with one another. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's a temptation or even, you know, when I was spending a lot of time on, on campus doing camp college ministry, there was a lot of competition from one ministry to another. I think there can also be a lot of competition from one church to another. Um, and uh, there's, there's the common saying out there. Um, if you're praying for revival, would, would you, would you be okay if God did it in the street in, in a church down the street instead of your own? And, and I think like, yes, that's hard for us to consider. But if, if our desire like Paul is to see the gospel spread and God starts saving people at the church down the street, not your own, we can still rejoice. I mean, it might be tough, but we can still do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what, what, sticks out is when Paul says the struggle I have for you, he means spiritual warfare and prayer yeah. is what I would say. Cause if you go back to Colossians one, you have Paul say similar words when he says, and so from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with all the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then here he says that he's been struggling for them at Laodicea. That he hasn't seen them face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ. So in other words, the same thing that he mentioned was the content of his prayer in chapter one in his introduction mm. is what's here and gets connected to the struggle. So I think one of the things you get from this is a question that I, I, I don't ask to myself uh, as a form of conviction and you is, you know, do, are you someone that if you were, if you, if someone was to characterize your prayer life, would it be, pre, would it be characterized as, as a warfare and a struggle mm. that you are at, you are going to bat for other Christians praying for them. And that's how you view your prayer life or is your prayer life more of a wish list about mm-hmm. things you want mm-hmm. happening in your life, in your family, in your church. Those are okay things to pray for and you ought to pray for them. But one of the things that I've noticed, the, like uh, when you think about praying for other believers, I love getting my cues from the apostles because they set for us an amazing thing. Because one of the things that I think stops believers from praying from other believers, especially if you're not super familiar with them yet, or if you're, there's people in your church that you'd love to pray for, like maybe you've had a pastor who said, Hey, you should go through the directory and pray for saints. That's an awesome idea. I also say it's great. I I try to do that myself. But what comes up a lot when I talk to people about this is they'll say things like, well, I don't know what to pray for them because I don't know them. 
Well, pray what Paul prays here and pray that their hearts would be encouraged, that they would be knit together in love with their small group and other people that that they're connected with in the church, even if it's not you, and that they would reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery. I mean, these are prayers that you can repeat that were inspired by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul that you can pray for other Christians. And I would encourage you to do so if you don't know them. And what Paul continues then in uh, from that foundation is he tells us what the content of that spiritual knowledge Mm, is. In other words, he doesn't just say, I want you to be filled with all knowledge and doesn't tell you what it is. He tells us that the knowledge is of God's mystery and again, as we said in the last episode, this mystery doesn't remain mysterious because mm. he tells us in the next words, which is Christ, mm. in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is one of my favorite phrases in all the Bible. Mm. It's unbelievably rich because here's what we're being told when it says in whom are hidden, that doesn't mean it's still hidden. Mm. It means he's been revealed. So yeah. in him, they're now exposed. They're no longer hidden. And, and I can say this with confidence because of what he says in Colossians three, when he says, um, where is it? Here it is in, in chapter three, verse three, he says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. That doesn't mean that your life is that God's like, I don't know where it is. <laughs> it means it's being guarded and protected in Christ, that Christ mm. is the, the defense and the guardian of your life. So your entire existence is bound up in him. Mm. Well, in a similar way, when he says here in Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That means Christ himself is the storehouse Mm. of everything right, true, good, and beautiful. And if you know him, you have access as a Christian to all of this. So one thing you can pray for other believers as Paul does here is Lord, would they know Jesus better? Mm. Because as they know Jesus better, more in depth, more richly, more robustly, they will enter deeper into all that God has. Like that is the aim of the Christian life is to know Christ who is, who is the hope of glory as we talked about last time, but who is himself, the knowledge of God's mystery. Mm. If you want to know what God's, if you want to know the mystery revealed, know Jesus. That's, that's the, the point of Paul's message here. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) there's obviously more we could say about that, but just what a, what an encouragement it is to know that, um, we can know God and that we can know him through uh, his son that he has sent to this earth. Um, and, and so even then, if we continue to verse four, so he says, he says all of this and, and what Michael has just articulated, um, knowing God and, and whatnot, he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you. So if in Christ, all of the full, all of the, the storehouses, um, exist that speaks to then what we're going to encounter in the world. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. We're going to hear a lot of things that are um, anti-Christ. Uh, and maybe that's an intentional wording. I don't know. But, but like, we're going to hear a lot of things that are trying to distract us, trying to tear away our affections from Christ. But we need to see and we need to understand exactly what Michael has just said, that that there's nothing greater. There's no one better than, than, than Jesus. And 
if we're praying for others, uh, that they would know Jesus better. Hopefully they're praying that the same for us, uh, so that we may not be drawn away from Christ by whatever plausible arguments, uh, may come about. Uh, and so it's just this idea of, um, being rooted in Christ and being uh, so satisfied in him and so, um, just affectionately desirous of him who is, um, has the, the, the all treasures of wisdom and knowledge in himself, uh, and that we would not turn anywhere else. Mm. Um, that, I mean, I think, I think if we could, I mean, if we could do that, uh, on a consistent basis, uh, we would all be better for it. Uh, and, and those are the sort of things that, you know, we should desire for ourselves. We should desire for others and that we should pray to those ends, uh, so that our churches would be filled, uh, with these kinds of people. Yeah. And what I want to point out is I think what Paul is doing here intentionally is calling our minds to see by, by connecting the treasures of wisdom, wisdom with knowledge is that Jesus ultimately fulfills the aim of the Proverbs. So if you go back to Mm. Proverbs two, we're told in verse three through six, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of Yahweh Mm. and find the knowledge of God. For Yahweh gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He has a shield to those who walk in integrity. And it continues on. In other words, there is now Yahweh is has revealed himself. We've done this extensively. If you go back to our series through John and the I am statements that Jesus identifies as Yahweh mm. and shows himself to be this human expression, this God man showing himself to us um, in human form. And what we see then is that Jesus is himself the fulfillment of what we're pursuing in Proverbs. Hmm. If you want to know wisdom, if you want to understand, have understanding, if you want to pursue it like silver and like gold, what you will do when you reach that gold is you will find God, the son incarnate, you will find Jesus Christ. And that is, that's where the whole Bible is moving you towards. And as Aaron pointed out in four, Paul is saying this because he's trying to show the Colossians just like so much of the New Testament authors are doing that they already have everything in Jesus yeah. and they don't need what the false teachers are telling them. Yeah. Now I don't want to steal too much of the future thunder in Colossians, but you need to bring in a little bit of what Paul is saying contextually here to make sense of this. The false teachers are some mix and we'll get, again, we'll get into this much more detail and probably either next episode or the, or the following one, but the false teaching in the church that they, that has infiltrated the church at Colossae seems to be a weird blending or merging of Gnosticism and pagan Judaism to the extent that in Colossians 2.16, Paul says that let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. He then continues, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with growth that is from God. This it seems to be that Paul has a very specific person in mind because it's actually a singular. He says, let no one. Hmm. It seems to be there's a false teacher in the church that's a threat to Colossae who is telling them that in order to have the full richness, riches and insurance that is given of God, you need to go back to Judaism. You need to go back to, the, to these old rituals to have it. And Paul is saying, full stop, no. 
That is absolutely false. It sounds plausible because he's using Bible verses, mm -hmm. but those Bible verses are actually disconnected from Christ. And as Jesus tells the Pharisees, you can pour over the scriptures all day, but if you miss the point that they're about me, you've missed everything. Mm -hmm. So this false teacher that is bringing in these Gnostic Judaism, uh, pagan Judaism kind of ideals into this church is actually threatening to move them not closer to Jesus, who is himself wisdom and treasure of knowledge in his in his, in the knowledge of him. Instead, this pagan teacher is moving them away from Jesus, promising treasures. And what Paul is saying very clearly at the beginning of this section where he's going to go out this teaching is he says. I do not want you to be deluded mm. by plausible arguments. Mm -hmm. And the reason that there's plausibility is not because that they're super cogent, logical arguments is because, and this is a threat in the church. When we go back and you look at things like Arianism, the ancient heresy regarding Christ, not being himself, God, but being the first creation. A lot of times false teachers point to Bible verses, mm -hmm. just like in mm -hmm. Colossians 1 15, we talked about <laughs> when it says that Jesus was the firstborn Arians point yeah, to that and yeah. tried to say that Jesus was, was actually created being False teachers, one of the main threats and one of the one of the things that's so dangerous about them is that they twist the scriptures. As Peter says, Second Peter three, he talks about how the apostle Paul writes hard things which which the false teachers and the ignorant and unstable twist and distort to their own advantage. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if you are in if you notice as a believer that there that people that you're listening to are using the scriptures to take you away from Jesus. That is a clear sign. That's a yeah. false teacher. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's, that's, that is dangerous. And Paul is saying, do not give in to those kinds of lies. That's the point here. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And so his, his uh, closing statement in five, then um, just reminding them that he's, he's not with them and yet he's still able to rejoice with them. Um, and, and he's, he's got like a, this confidence uh, about their faith, about, um, their participation in this process that he's discussing here, where he says, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And so he, it's almost as if he's saying to them, just keep, keep, keep doing it. Like, mm -hmm. like keep trusting, keep resting, keep, keep your eyes on Christ. And, um, just trust that, you know, he is all that he says he is and, and more that we're, than we're even able to articulate, uh, and keep going. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, don't trust the, the people who are trying to take you away from him because there's nothing greater than him. Uh, and, and all you need is to, to keep, keep running after him. Uh, so a great passage. Mm -hmm. What else do you want to say? Anything? Well, yeah, I would say in conclusion, the main application that I would want to take from this is that this still happens today. Uh, nothing new is under the sun. Yeah. And one of the common traits of false teaching that will destabilize you is the diluted promise that you need to go beyond Jesus mm. to reach the good life, that there mm. are things that aren't Christ that you are missing out on that yeah. are that if you could just have them, you would experience whatever that is. That's going to take you to the next level. That's what false teaching has always done. Yeah. And one of the things that's so glorious and also kind of earthy and common that I love about the new Testament is that the apostles, whether it's Peter or Paul or John, the thing that I see in all of their writings, that is a common strand is that they are completely content to remind you of what you cannot forget. Mm. 
they are not looking to just give you all these new things mm-hmm. because that's what the lie of Satan is. That's what the lies that God is holding out. There's this access to knowledge that you don't have. And if you did, you would, you would finally reach what you've been looking for. Mm-hmm. If you think that you need to go beyond Jesus to reach what you're looking for, you don't have a big enough Jesus in your life. You don't have mm-hmm. a glorious enough vision of who the son of God who has taken on flesh and lived for you, died for you, has rose for you, is interceding for you and will return for you. in glory. Like these are the promises of scripture and these are where the apostles constantly take our eyes to. So if you, if your eyes need to leave Jesus to experience the full life, then you don't know what life is. Mm. And so uh, what Paul does here and what we would encourage you to do is to keep your eyes, as he says very clearly in Colossians three, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, Mm. not on things of earth. The thing is all those false teachers lies are earthy things that will spoil and rot. Only Christ will endure. And for the Christian, he is the high life. He is the good life. He is himself, the storehouse of all wisdom and knowledge and always go back to that. And if you, if you read the Bible carefully in the new Testament, you will see over and over again, the apostles want you to know that you have everything you need and that they were, they are content to remind you of what you can't forget Mm. that you cannot forget that that is true, that everything you need is found in the risen Christ. That's right. Well, I I don't have anything to add. How about you just sign us off then? (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for listening (laughs) to to another episode of Accessible Theology. We are uh, delighted that you joined us again. And we just want to call you as we always do to love God, know truth and live accordingly.